Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. So grateful to be here with you today. I am uh, grateful for uh, the extra hour of sleep last night. How many think that was of the Lord? <laughs> so uh, blessed that you're here and that uh, God is here to meet with us. And the Holy Spirit is working within each of our lives to perfect that which he started. So it's good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Danny and uh, Karen have been friends of ours for many, many years, and it's just a special joy and honor to be able to minister this morning. I, uh, I have a uh, debt of gratitude to uh, you, this congregation, for the years that uh, we were on the mission field in Russia. This church uh, supported us the whole way and prayed for us, and was very gracious, and blessed us, and for that I'm deeply indebted. I'm thankful for the outreach of this church that goes far beyond just this community, across Delmarva, but also reaches around the world, and we're grateful to the Lord for how He has used Pastor Danny and Karen, and how He has used this congregation And we're thankful for that. Pastor uh, uh, Jeff and his family have been uh, friends of ours forever. We are so grateful for them. And this morning, uh, my wife, my precious wife, Joyce, is with me. Joyce, would you stand that the people may welcome you this morning? We're grateful. We're dealing uh, with mega uh, transitions. Uh, Pastor Dan has been ministering from uh, the book of 1 Samuel. We will continue ministering with Mega Transitions because that book is a book about transitions. It, uh, it moves from the judges uh, through, introduces the prophetic role in the person of Samuel and then uh, continues on bringing to bear the monarchy with Saul. And of course, David is anointed there also. Now, what I am uh, plan to do this morning is I want to, to minister on the chapters 4, 5, and the first, uh, first 15 verses of chapter 6, which has to do with the ark of God being taken into captivity And I want to read those scriptures. And I'll use a lot of scriptures this morning because God put it in my heart when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit many years ago. He put his word in my heart and I have such a love for it. So I'll use that. So if we would uh, bring up our first slide this morning. We're ready. And I want to read to you now just portions of this scripture. I won't, uh, 
I'm not going to read all of chapter 4, 5, and 6, but I want to read enough so that you understand and get a little bit of a grip of what's going on here. And so we begin and, and we read these first three verses. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and camped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped at Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and they, uh, when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from our enemies. I want to make a couple of comments here before we proceed. Our first movement of the ark now is from the tabernacle into the battlefield. They took it in, and here's what the mentality is. Here's what the attitude that people have. They're perceiving God as almost as a toolbox. So that if they need a fix, they call on God. But I want you to know that that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for a people who trust Him and live for Him day in and day out. So Israel now has moved to the place where God is an addendum rather than the main part of their life. Now we continue. And the ark at this point is, is captured and held as a prisoner of war. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. And there was a great slaughter and there fell 30,000 foot soldiers. And also, also the ark was captured and the two sons of Eli and Phinehas died. So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there was a great slaughter among the people and also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. And when it happened, then he made mention, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Now his, that is Eli's daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife was with child, due to be delivered, and when she heard the news that the ark was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, a woman stood by her and said to her, Do not fear, for you've born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. And then she named the child Ichabod, because the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so we see it's first carried into the camp. And then as a battle proceeds, 30,000 are killed of the Israelites. It's an awful slaughter. 
And the ark itself is captured and taken into the land of the Philistines. Now, the ark now returns to Israel and they set the ark on a cart and a chest with gold rats and images of their tumors. And then the cows headed straight down the road to Bethshemesh and along the highway lowing as they went and did not return aside either to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. And now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes, and they saw the ark, and they rejoiced. Now, if you read this passage of Scripture, what you'll find is this. The key word throughout these passages is the word ark. We see something happening here. There's a tremendous message here. The ark goes into battle. The ark is captured. It's held as a prisoner of war there. And then the ark returns. They brought it on a cart, put it on a cart. It returned to Israel. Now, this ark is significant. If you'll give me the next slide. Because... <clears throat> When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai, he was called by God up into the mountain of the Lord, and there he met with God. It was such an awesome, awesome thing to meet with the Lord God Almighty. Think about this, that when God created the world, he created a garden and placed man in that garden of Eden. But that man sinned, Adam sinned, and when he sinned, God then put him out of the garden. While he was in the garden, he had the opportunity to, to walk and talk, to fellowship with God in the cool of the day. In other words, he had the opportunity to enter into the counsel of the Lord. But he sinned. As a result of that, God withdrew himself, and for 2,500 years, God just spoke to individuals on very special occasions. He no longer had fellowship with man. He was no longer present in the garden. He was separated from man. Now, Moses goes up the mountain, and God shows him in heaven, and there he shows him the pattern how to build the tabernacle. Now, as he built this tabernacle, this gives us an idea of how the tabernacle, the inside of the tent itself, the lampstand, the showbread, the golden altar of incense, and behind that is this veil. You see the cherubim woven right into the veil. And behind the veil is the ark. Next slide. This is a picture of the ark. The ark is a simple chest, and inside the chest is the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna, and the Aaron, a rod of Aaron that budded. Speaks in a significant way about the authority of God and the uh, power of God, the throne of God. This is the object here. This represents the throne of God above the mercy seat, above the chest, when you come up into this part. This is called the mercy seat. And that is significant because once a year, 
the high priest could go behind the veil and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. And so this in itself makes the ark, the cherubim on each side, and here's the significance. God says, I will speak with you from above the mercy seat between the cherubim. So for the first time in 2,500 years, God said, I'm going to come and dwell among people. I'm going to dwell in the tabernacle behind the veil. And you can, we can communicate together there on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. Powerful, powerful. Now, what we see here, if you let me have that next slide is that this ark is just a a shadow or a type of what's already in heaven. Because it says in in, uh, Revelation, when John sees into heaven, it says the temple of God was open and there in heaven, there today in heaven, in the temple of God, is the ark of the covenant. Very, very significant. Now here's the significant part. The Bible, this Bible that we have, is a covenantal book. You notice now that the Ark is called the Ark of the Covenant. God is not in an experiment with you and me this morning. God has purposed in His heart that He loves you. He has sent His Holy Spirit to live in your heart. And He's going to complete that which He started in you. He has a great plan and a great purpose for your life, but never misunderstand. God never gives up his sovereignty. He is God. He reigns from heaven. So the Bible is a covenantal book. It is also a prophetic book. It's significant to us. Biblical history, as recorded in our Bible, is not simply a record of the past, but it is rather a prophecy that's being fulfilled through the ongoing and ever-increasing manifestations of the grace and the glory of God. In other words, what God started in the Old Testament, in the very first pages of Genesis, He continues in the process of adding to that revelation because the path of the righteous is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until that perfect day. And so what we see in 1 Samuel is a shadow or a type or a pattern of the substance and the reality that we can experience at the present time. Matthew Jesus says in Matthew, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous people desired to see what you see, and did not see it, or hear what you have heard. Now, let me just make a comment to you. Is that it, it, my voice is not as strong as it used to be, so I keep one of these things in my mouth. And I drink a little water from time to time so that I can keep going. So if you'll excuse me, I'll ask you to do that once. And if you'll bear with me as we go along, I appreciate it. Now notice, Jesus has already said that he said, there are people, there are generations of people 
that would like to have seen and experienced what you see and experience. He continues. He said, for all the prophets and the law prophesied. So it's just not history. It's prophecy. They prophesied until John. Now here to Hebrews. Notice now, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, which that now records all of the great men of faith. After we had this tremendous uh, litany of men that were so faithful with God. Here's what he said. And all these, having attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect or made complete apart from us. So what I want us to understand as we think about transitions... The transition that took place in 1 Samuel during this particular time when the ark was taken captive in POW there in Philistia and then returned. All of that is a shadow of what is taking place in our lives today. And those men and women that lived at that time did not have the opportunity to enjoy the things that we enjoy. But our position in the redemptive plan of God brings their life and experience to fullness because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it doesn't matter which one you go to throughout the Bible, the key is that Jesus Christ is all and in all. The fact of are that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, let me put that another way. When we enter into a covenant relationship with God, then we are baptized into the body of Christ. You died when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your life is hidden in Christ or with Christ in God. And it's in God this morning that we live and move and have our being. Colossians says this, very key, continue earnestly in prayer and being vigilant with thanksgiving. That's a part of it. This is Thanksgiving month. And we pray. We want to give thanks. Continue, Paul says. Paul's in prison at this juncture. Meanwhile, he says, praying for us that God would open to us door to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul says there's a mystery to Christ. In other words, the world doesn't understand what God is doing and what he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility as the church to make that mystery known to the world. In other words, to unveil, to pull back so they understand who Christ is. Now I want you to follow this a little bit. Notice that when Jesus came to the point in his journey... The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. We're talking about transitions now. After that was over, the Scripture said Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Isn't that an interesting thing to happen? He now says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he turns and being led by the Spirit in to be tempted of the devil. After he came out of the spirit, out of the wilderness, the, uh, he, he said, the scripture says that he came out in the power of the spirit. 
He went to his hometown of Nazareth and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which was his custom. He reached up and took the scroll of Isaiah and he opened it to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he read these words. The voice of the Spirit, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover his sight to the blind, to set at liberty to the oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice this. When we come to Hebrews, it says, And your God has anointed you with oil. We rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. But the greater thing in all that, the greater value in all that is that he's anointed you and me. See that? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Now, we're trying to just lay our heart, lay our mind into this mystery Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God. What I'm saying to you is this morning is this, that the ark of God in the days of Samuel was taken in as captured, taken in as a POW, to the camp of the Philistines. And that was a dark, dark day for Israel. But I want you to know that that's just a shadow and a type of Jesus Christ who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And there came a dark day. When he was taken captive. Go to the next slide. I ask the question to you this morning. Why has God anointed you and me with the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is. Each of us needs help. All of us will face situations in life that require the assistance of another person. Because of the nature of spiritual warfare, we will not in all circumstances be capable of delivering ourselves from the grip of the circumstances that we find ourselves into. The Holy Spirit, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos. He says he's a helper, parakletos. I just heard a fellow speak the other day about this. And he said, you may not understand parakletos, but you do understand parachute. And when you bail out of that airplane, if you don't have a parachute, you're in for a crash landing. When we head through life, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a crash landing. You may not understand parakletos, but you may understand paradise. 
When it's all finished and it's all done, we want him to welcome us into paradise saying, well done, you good and faithful servant. We don't want to go to that other place. And that's why he's anointed you and me with the Holy Spirit because we're going to find ourselves in some circumstances where we can't help ourselves. Now I want you to notice that as Jesus heads to the cross, he's in the last 48 hours of his life and look what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And he continues, same chapter, chapter 12, in that last 24 hours. He says to them, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of light. I want you to know that the world we live in is a world that's characterized by darkness But there is a light that shines in the darkness and Jesus is the original light, but he's also lit your lamp and you are the light of the world. So don't be overcome by that darkness. Now notice now, it was in darkness. It was in the night and all those soldiers came with swords and clubs and they took Jesus captive and the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, Jesus said, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour. And the power of darkness. What I want you to understand this morning is that when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, many of you have seen the film, The Passion. And in that film, there is a great emphasis put on the, the uh, uh, beating of Jesus and the uh, uh, crown of thorns and how he shed the blood and, and how, how hard all of that was to him. And we think about that, but that's not all that goes on at the cross. Jesus Christ himself didn't come just to do a few miracles and cast out a few devils. He didn't come to just teach us some rules about good living. No, Jesus came in the world to destroy the works of the devil. And when we see darkness prevailing everywhere, I want you to know that Jesus came to break the power of the prince of darkness. That's what the crucifixion is all about. Now, after Jesus was raised from the dead... He he talked to his disciples and he said, and he opened their understanding that they may understand the scriptures, comprehend the scriptures, because he said, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms all speak about me. So when we're talking about 1 Samuel, and when we're talking about the ark being taken captive, held by the Philistines, We're seeing that Jesus then, and that was the shadow, Jesus in the reality then, he bears our sin on Calvary's cross. He is taken captive. But how many of you know that Jesus himself came out of that grave? Now notice this. He says to them, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry into the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Jesus not only overcame even death itself, victorious over the devil, disarming principalities and powers, making a public show of them, triumphing over them in it, 
But now he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit so that you can live a victorious life. He said, because I live, you will live also. He said, I am he. This is later he's speaking now after his resurrection and after his ascension. He said, I have the keys in death and hell. I was the one that's dead and I am alive forevermore. Now here's a key verse. Romans 8 verse 11. It said, but the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies and through his spirit which dwells in you. I want you to know that the spirit of the Lord not only dwells in your heart, but he has anointed you by the Holy Spirit, clothed you with his very presence, and you are to this community a display of the glory of God. Isaiah says it this way, speaking prophetically, he said, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, you are glorious. Now look to your neighbor on the other side and say it like you mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Bayshore Church is a blessing from God. Why? Not because we're such good and wonderful people, but because God dwells in our hearts and his spirit is upon us, whereby we show his, his love, his grace, and his glory to this world. Now, when the ark was taken captive, it was a dark and difficult day for Israel. The two sons of the high priest Eliad died in that. 30,000 soldiers died. Eli, the high priest himself, when he heard the news, fell off his stool, broke his neck, and he died. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was due to bear a child, suddenly broke into labor, gave birth to the child, and just before she died, she named him Ichabod. The glory is departed, and she died. What's significant here for us? The significance is that it was a dark day. And the fact is, you're each going to go through some dark days. And in, the in that process, there is a tendency to become discouraged and to think, God has left me. I want you to know it doesn't matter how difficult your circumstances. God says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And so there are several ways. There are several things that can happen. We can suddenly be faced with, with death. I remember on April the 20th, Easter Sunday of 03, and suddenly, just very suddenly, unexpected, my wife passed away. And that was a dark day. I didn't think I'd ever smile again. 
I heard uh, Ann Graham, Lot, Billy Graham's daughter, speak the other day. And she said that when her, her husband died, and she said that was such a loss. And then she said her father died. And before she could get straightened out from what happened, she said she was diagnosed with cancer. She said that was a dark time. She said loneliness and despair came to knock on my door. But she said, I didn't open the door. She said, because I had the presence of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paracletos with me. He comforted my heart. And she said, God confirmed to me, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of need. She said, I found strength. You can find strength. Next, next slide. Okay. Now listen. One of the big problems that we face as Christian people living in this community is that we suffer offense. People say things to us. People do things to us. And we get offended. When we get offended, there is a tendency for us to be held captive by the devil as prisoners of his warfare. He sets things against you to trip you up and to bind you in prison as a prisoner of warfare as we go along. So Jesus says, get this straight. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father forgive you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And he said, no, 70 times seven. What am I saying to you this morning? I'm saying that the glory of God is upon you. He has empowered you to live in this world in the face of darkness, whether it's grief, whether it's offense, whether it's guilt, all of that. He's made every provision in Jesus Christ for you to walk in liberty. And so I want you to see, do you, have you seen this picture before? You remember seeing this? Just a month ago in early October, this is a courtroom in Dallas, Texas. This lady is named Amber. Amber's on the police force, of the Dallas police force. And Amber went to go in her apartment one night. She thought she was going in her apartment. And she wound up going in the wrong apartment. When she got in the apartment, there was someone there. And so she, in fear, she shot the guy who was there and killed him. Only to learn that she was not in her apartment. She, rather than going to the third floor, had stopped on the second floor. And she had now murdered an innocent person. So they're holding the trial. And in this trial, Amber is found guilty of murder and she's sentenced to 10 years in prison. When they had given the sentence, the trial was over, the sentence was given. Then Amber, of course, is devastated. And the brother his, of, the, of the man that was murdered, his name is uh, Brent. Brent made a statement in that courtroom. And he says, you know... That was my brother, but said, I don't want Amber to live a sad life. We all make mistakes from time to time, and I forgive Amber for what she did. And if the court would give permission, I'd like to give her a hug. And this is the court gave permission, and this is a picture of where Brandt came over and hugged the murderer of his brother. 
Brant's mother made a statement in the paper, and Brant's mother said, it is according to our faith that we would forgive. She said, it's hard to do because my son is lost. But she said, that's what we do. Next slide. Notice this slide. This is a tremendous slide. Same courtroom. After, the, after Brent came over and hugged Amber, then the judge herself, her, her last name is Kemp, the judge herself, a district uh, judge in Texas, came over to Amber, and you see here that she is hugging her. And after she hugged her, she gave her a Bible and asked that God would bless her so that she would overcome this terrible tragedy in her life. Arise, shine, for the glory of God has risen upon you, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Next slide. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so also you must do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The next slide. Next slide. Hebrews says this. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. It's not a matter of what you'll face tomorrow. God will never leave you. He is always with you. Peter says this, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, see, you are called to glory. Calling of God gives you purpose in your life. And you're called to glory. After you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. That word perfect you is the word catarzio. And I think it was in 76, 1976, Pastor Jeff was out at Rima Bible College. And while he was there, he sent me a group of, of teachings by a man named Dr. Roy Hicks. And in one of those teachings, he talked about this word catarzio, which means uh, it's used in, like, for example, where the uh, apostles were mending their nets. It's like when you have a broken arm and it has to be reset carefully. If it isn't reset carefully, you will never be able to function carefully. And what God wants to do is it's in spite of all these things that happen to us, He wants us to know that He's able to fix it. He's able to fix you. He is for you and He's not against you. That's why it was when everything was against Jesus and it was such a dark day that even the sun didn't shine from noon to three o'clock. It was a dark day and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we live in a community that needs forgiveness.
Think what would happen when, if Dr. Wow, help me out. What's her name? She, she, Dr. Christine Ford. Down there in the Congress telling about the terrible thing that she related that happened to her 25 years ago and how it messed her life up. I wonder if she'd have been like Brent and had forgiven Kavanaugh right at that point if her life would not have been different. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that we're living in this community that needs to see the glory of God. And if they're going to see it, it's going to be because it's on you. God has given you everything to prepare you. And so he says now, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now here it's conclude with this verse. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being conformed to the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Bow your hearts with me in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for the transitions that have taken place through history to bring us to this time in the world in which we can enjoy your presence and have access to the kingdom of God and can come boldly to your throne of grace whereby we may obtain mercy and find grace to help for today. And I lift up every person in this congregation and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work powerfully to bring to transformation of our hearts and minds that as we go out this week and through this month of November, as we think about Thanksgiving and all the blessings you put upon us, that we would bring to bear the blessings of God. And where we feel alone and where we feel forsaken and where we feel guilty and shame and where we are offended, we ask this morning that you would forgive us, restore to us the joy of our salvation and strengthen us, fix us in our hearts so that we can live and move in this community in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. And we thank you for being mindful of us working within us to accomplish your glorious purpose. In the name of Jesus, amen.